Ideas are everywhere. Welcome to Lessons Learned in Marketing, the Phoenix Group Podcast. I'm your host, David Bellarive. My guest today is Eric Wheeler. Eric is CEO and co-founder of 33 Across, which is a programmatic platform that delivers in a very unique and very exciting way. And Eric will tell us all about that. This is going to be a fairly wide-ranging conversation with Eric, and it starts with uh, talking about kind of the state of the world today and how advertisers and marketers can prepare themselves or set themselves up to succeed in the future. Now, we're going to talk quite a bit about 33 Across and some of the reasons for why it's built the way it is and uh, what it does. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Eric, welcome, and thank you so much for spending some time with me this morning. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Can you tell me a little bit about um, yourself and uh, your background before we get underway? Sure. Uh, I'm Eric Wheeler. I'm the CEO and co-founder of 33 Across. Um, we're, we're a programmatic platform that delivers attention. I uh, can go into more detail, but it's pretty exciting technology. Uh, my background prior to that really comes out of uh, technology marketing. Um, I started in the early 90s at um, in uh, uh technology shops like Anderson Lumpke and YNR San Francisco uh, on the advertising account side uh, and uh, worked a little bit on the publishing side at early stage companies like CNET uh, in San Francisco and then um, founded in uh, 1998, founded one of the first digital ad agencies called Lot 21, L-O-T-2-1 that we built over four years into a 150 person uh, shop in New York and San Francisco and sold and ran that for about four plus years, uh, scaled it really well. It's amazing client base, great, great, you know, Ogilvy's an amazing brand and it was just a wonderful team. Uh, and then uh, got the itch to be back in startup land and started 33 across in really, uh, end of 2007. Uh, so it's possible to survive the agency world and, and come out alive. <laughs> I am living proof, living proof <laughs> that you can survive as an agency executive. Uh, yes. I want to talk about um, 33 <laughs> Across a little bit, uh, actually quite a bit, because uh, what you're doing is is super fascinating. But uh, this whole conversation came about because of a panel you were, I think, moderating and uh, sort of talking about the future and looking ahead. Things are great right now, but companies need to be doing or you, you were you were talking about what companies need to be doing to kind of get ahead or prepare for um, hurdles that we face. Yeah, that's right. I, I think one of the things that um, you know we've we've done in our company, and I think um, as we've we've been around now for, I guess I'm in my twelfth year at Thirty Three Across, and uh, it's been uh, you know I think the the reality is marketing. Uh, is and will be for the next 30 years in a constant state of evolution. There is, but just, uh, just when you think you've mastered one type of technology or platform or process or system, there's some new, uh, uh company coming in to disrupt that. And, um, and it's no different, uh, our business and the ecosystem, uh, same, same types of challenges. And, um, you know, we're, we're, you know, my, my view is it's, we're kind of marketing in a mudslide and, uh, you know, you need to, you need to hold on to whatever, whatever works. So paint the picture for me a bit. Like what is the landscape now that you see and, and what are some of the things that um, I guess potentially we need to be looking out for? Well, I think, I think one of the things that if you're, you, 
either if you're a, a technology platform like my my company is, or if you're a brand marketer, uh, you, you you've got to first embrace the fact that everything's changing, and particularly you're seeing on the brand side, you're seeing the 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 power shift from where where data and technology really sat with the CIO and the CTO is now moving to the CMO, right? Mm-hmm. And that, that because technology is enabling um, and tracking and monitoring and improving the customer relationship and the CMO and the and ownership of that customer experience is moving solidly there where a lot of the enabling technology reporting and deli- um, and uh, analytics, if not the, the delivery of the customer experience, really kind of kind of falling underneath the CMO. So why, why do yeah, you go ahead? Oh, so I was going to ask, why do you think that is? I, I think it really comes down to ultimately kind of ownership of the customer, right? And that customer experience. And you're moving from um, not just a, uh, where, uh, you know, it doesn't matter whether you're, if you're an online company or if you're an offline company, the access to your customer is so easy now, not just email, not just Twitter, not just all these other messaging applications, social media and otherwise, that that ability to um, to move from a reactive customer reaction situation like customer support into actually customer success. And there's probably no one better suited in any larger uh, market, in, in a larger company than the CMO to, to drive that. Um, and to really drive for a, an improved and better customer relationship um, than the the chief marketing function, um, because they really full understanding of the customer lifecycle, full understanding of um, the the key moments in the customer's experience um, where you have that opportunity to surprise and delight or or not. And um, and so what we've seen over the uh, the past five, 10 years is uh, the CMO rising in power in the organization um, and many parts of the marketing technology stack, which would normally be um, IT are now falling under, under them because they have, um, they have the expertise uh, and the responsibility to make sure that those customers ultimately, um, you know, are happy and, uh, and growing as, as part of the, as part of the brand relationship. That's very, it's very interesting. It's a good thing, I think. But um, what are some of the, um, what are some of the things that um, I guess are, 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 are the new challenges because of this? Yeah, well, I think, I think one of the new challenges is that, um, uh, you know, with so much, tran- with so much transition happening and, and so much new technology, there is a, uh, there, there are thousands and thousands of, you know, marketing technology providers that you, you sometimes need to know about or vendors that are going to reach out to you to kind of solve everything from attribution to um, multi-channel marketing, you know, omni-channel marketing and et cetera. One of the things is as a, as a brand marketer and as a, as a marketing lead, I think you need to just embrace the fact that you need to be what, what I would call a deep generalist. And that means you need to know a lot. Mm-hmm. about about a lot yeah. <laughs> and in this remit is everything from strategy all the way through to technology and it doesn't mean you need to be an expert in all of it but you need to understand how those pieces come together and create frameworks and kpis that allow you to measure and manage that above above the constantly shifting um you know landscape of what vendor are we using for what point solution here and here that you can kind of sit above that um, 
one of the one of the things we do is um, at here at our company is kind of think about a framework in terms of so if, if everything's moving uh, in in the, in the marketing sense if everything's moving and you've got constant shifting uh, in the, in the landscape you, you you don't have a you can't lock on to one specific thing but if you can create a framework for KPIs and measurement and you start to look at the um, how you in how you develop and roll out your programs. Um, you can start to create frameworks. And so I do have a couple ideas along those lines. I love that title, Deep Generalist. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to strive to have that as my title. So what are, what are some of the things we c- you can do? <laughs> well, I think the first thing is if you take um, you know, your marketing initiatives and you look at what you're challenged with doing, we do this at our business and we say, okay, 70% of our effort goes towards the core business. What are we blocking and tackling to deliver? What is the core challenge we have? We're, we're delivering, in our case, the attention platform for a global set of customers. We're both US, UK, and Japan. We're delivering and growing this, this ability to deliver time-based uh, advertising solutions that uh, deliver high value, high quality, et cetera, uh, across these regions and growing and scaling that. That's 70% of our initiatives. So now, you mean... By 70% of the core business, you mean not just the marketing, but actually the, the business that you're in. Yeah. Yeah. So, so for example, so we're, we're looking, we're, we're spending, and this is me as the CEO, not just the head of marketing, but I think it applies to also to, if you were the CMO or the, you know, brand officer of a, of a company, you would say 70% of the efforts are using existing channels and funnels that you have to drive more customer adoption, cross sell, upsell, et cetera. Let's, 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 drive that truck that we have and let's make that as efficient and effective as possible. And then 20% of the time should be spent on exploring adjacent opportunities. Where are there new features, product extensions, different things we could offer um, that uh, improve on the customer relationship, expand the customer business, um, make us more uh, ingrained to that customer, et cetera. So, 70% 70% on core, 20% on uh, adjacent opportunities. And then 10% should be spent in, in a kind of, uh, in, in kind of way out, next generation thinking what, what's really disruptive, what's really amazing that we could do that's, that would really be disruptive in the marketplace. Uh, and at the same time, also that disruption, you should be kind of doing a little doomsday prepping. You should be thinking about what happens when, you know, the global ecosystem falls apart and there's no electricity. And how we <laughs> <get through>. um, <laughs> and, uh, it's a health, it's a healthy thing to do. And if you're always planning for a recession or if you're always thinking about that, you have those models and you know, what are the, what are the triggers that you could dial back 30% or dial up 30%. Um, and you have the, tr- you have the triggers and the KPIs that you can track, you can, you can start to really kind of manage and, 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 and put that framework in place. But that 70, 20, 10 is a great framework to think about just in general, how much of your team and what you're doing is, de- is dedicated to core, uh, how much is dedicated to adjacent opportunities where we can really grow and scale, uh, in, in, in areas that are right next to and strongly connected to the core business. And then you're also in a position, uh, with, with enough time. I think this is the stuff that people really get excited about from an innovation standpoint at any team 
where you start to say, all right, let's throw it all out. What's really, if we were to start tomorrow, what would be really amazing if we did this as a brand or as a company? Um, and, and, and then the flip side is also what happens if, you know, um, the, this planet no longer supports earth, where we're going to, or supports life, where we're going to live. Right. So how do how do you do that? Um, I guess it seems, it seems like really wild thinking to sort of go, okay, our industry is gone or this business is no longer functional. What are we doing? Is that the sort of thing you're talking about? In some cases, yeah. Or, or really it also means, I mean, it also means that you're examining your entire value chain and that you understand exactly where potentially things could get be, uh, could move to the worst, most possible thing. Uh, I mean, I've always been, I came from operations, so I came up from, uh, uh, you know, creatives like you would, would work with guys like me. My job was to imagine the worst and plan for it. Mm -hmm. Right. (laughs) You know, I started out in the traffic department and that meant that brilliant television ad needed to get to these, these, you know, seven global markets within 24 hours. And, you know, if that FedEx truck gets in an accident, what are we going to do to make sure that that still gets there? Right. Double shipping, triple shipping. Mm -hmm. And, um, and if you think about that, you know, from those very basic things, you know, from a, an ad trafficking standpoint, you boil it back and you get, all right, what is the, what are the things that could really hurt the business? And what are the things that could really be damaging to the business? And what would we do if that happened? So would you take, would that 70, 20, 10 apply to your, your marketing uh, in, in itself? I, I don't know that. Um, I, I think 70. Uh, yeah, uh, yes. For most of it. I don't know that you're going to do marketing saying, um, uh, that uh, that are related to the the twenty uh, the ten percent where you know uh, we have to invent a new business um, and I'll give you an example. I mean, GM did a great job of this. You know, say what you want. G- GM is positioning to be an electronic vehicles company in the next five years, and they've had to make some some tough decisions as a business about um, how they're going to operate, how whether the, where their plants are going to be, et cetera but they're, they're playing towards a vision and they, and they're, and they're executing against both the near term. We need to sell cars. We need to do that better at a lower cost, but then we also need to be planning for a future that's electric. Um, so I, I think most of the marketing efforts are going to be focused on that 70% and then getting really creative on that, uh, that 20% of where the adjacent opportunities, where the partnerships, where the, the channel partnerships and other things we can do to, to really extend and get more growth. I would definitely be spending time there once I had more validation that that was actually something we could do. And then that 10% is really the planning part of that. So I, I, I don't think that there's a marketing uh, output of uh, doomsday prepping or, uh, you know, uh, innovation planning mm-hmm. other than, uh, you know, you're not going to actually be in market with innovation, except that you, what's interesting is, you know, you'll see, you'll see many, many brands will take in, even in me too categories, they'll take one or two things that are very innovative that, that they focused on and use that as kind of the tip of the spear differentiator and if you've got your team thinking and working with your product teams and working with your tech teams and working with your, um, your, your customers and the sales team to understand kind of that market feedback, you're in a better position to lean in on those opportunities when they come up. 
because you've, you've got a better understanding of it. Well, yeah, I think that's a great, great advice. I mean, whether the formula is uh, 70, 20, 10 or a variation of that, but it's, you know, so much of what we focus on and what businesses focus on is today, right now, what's happening. And uh, I mean, that can be all consuming. And your advice, I guess, is to spend a little bit of time outside of that for sure. Yeah, I think so. And I think one of the other things is when you're in that job on that 70% is really understanding how the marketing channel uh, drives return on ad spend. Uh, and, and looking to the best e-commerce companies, the be- best direct-to-consumer brands, even if you're not, if you're a B2B brand, what's really interesting that these companies have done uh, out of necessity is build in build in KPI systems, processes, and a knowledge uh, that they're able to track quite a bit of what's happening every day related to the growth in the business. What are the what are the KPIs and or metrics that they want to track? Mm-hmm. And you're bringing a set of a, a rigor and a focus daily into the business that you can then use to help understand and uh, keep on top of what are the things that are going to drive better and more increased return on my marketing investment, whether it's ad spend or over a marketing spend, but understanding intimately, how do you do attribution? How are the decisions being made related to um, you know, media mix modeling and, and, and cross channel optimization. And why are we investing here? It's a, it's an incredible time to be in a marketing position because there's so much interesting ways now to reach consumers, whether it's podcasts, like we're talking about, whether it's, um, uh, OTT and, 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 and connected TVs app. There's so many interesting ways to connect and reach your existing and new customers. How do you measure that? How do you, how do you put that together in a really smart framework related to that? It doesn't have to be perfect. It just has to be good. And you're constantly improving that. I mean, that's, that puts you in a position of real, real power with inside your organization. It's almost, uh, the, the, the beauty of what's happening right now is almost also the biggest problem of what's happening right now. You talked about like having to have that, that focus and rigor and it's, there's, there's just uh, a myriad of different ways to do everything now and different, even the terminology is sort of shifted from one thing to another thing. And, uh, I've seen a lot of clients and even us struggle with that, that, that focus, Tell me about 33 across and, and what it is you do. Yeah. So we have built a programmatic platform that delivers attention and we're the first exchange that enables buyers to buy inventory based on time. So what's really exciting whether it's been radio or television, you know, we've been in this, this business for a long time, David, and, and it was 15s and 30s, and this is what we were used to buying. Uh, you would buy, time has always been how advertising has been bought and sold. Ad banners came along, great. Uh, they've now moved to, they were a page-based model, so it was a page or it was part of a page and so forth. But now what we're coming back to is a model where we're actually able to li- deliver ads based on a minimum time in view. And why, why that's so important is that 
the industry has really moved, particularly in the online advertising space, to focus on quality, particularly, uh, particularly in the last four years. And that quality focus is, I want to make sure my ads are viewable. I want to make sure my ads are in view. I want to make sure they're not just in view for half a sec, for a second. I want them to be in view for a period of time. And brands are starting to understand what their optimal time in view is for a message and, 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 and understanding and testing that. And we build a very easy, scalable, global platform that allows today 30,000 advertisers a day are bidding on this inventory in the US, Europe, and, and, and Japan um, in, in delivering really great, rich experiences uh, in a way that's not obtrusive to the user, um, but also still stays in view. And so that, that's what we've built from a tech platform. That, uh, okay, you've definitely piqued my interest because it was just the other day I heard the, um, I think it was the IAB came out and said that uh, their uh, measurement of an ad view or potential view is one, uh, one second or something like that on screen, which seems, <laughs> well, first of all, that's not even a view, that's a potential view. So tell me, how do you, how do you deliver this or what is, how does, how does it work? You're, um, you're right to highlight that. Uh, that is what the IAB has put out as a standard that 50% of an ad in view for one second is the minimum standard for an ad to be viewable. Uh, I, I don't, you know, right. Half an ad for a second. So basically the time it takes to like sneeze or, or blink a couple times, um, your ad's going to show that that's, that's the, uh, I think an incredibly low bar. Uh, what we've built is technology and scalable experiences that average 90 plus percent viewability. So 90% of the view of the ads in view uh, at any time. And we're averaging 24, 25 seconds time in view. That's, that's what, what brands want. So when you look at Mark Pritchard and all the, all these other great CMOs who are basically, they're saying, I'm willing to pay more for quality but you got to give me quality mm -hmm. and it's quality from a, make sure it's not fraud, make sure it's viewable, make sure there's a high time in view. We're working with lots of commerce companies and lots of branding company uh, brand, uh, brand advertisers. And in both cases, there's a massive correlation between the viewability and time in view of an ad and the results from that ad. It makes, it makes sense. An ad that's in view for, you know, maybe in view for half a second, uh, for or or for a second, and it's uh, half the ad. It's going to perform nowhere as well as an ad that's almost 100% in view for 10 or 15 or 20 seconds. And uh, it, it's just been uh, it's common sense, uh, but it's uh, it's taken technology companies like us to kind of get get in there and, and lead. You struck a nerve with me because it's one of my uh, things that. I guess <laughs> drive me insane the most is when we go through uh, analysis or post analysis and we go, well, you, you know, 3 million people saw, saw this. It's like, okay, first 3 million people didn't see it. Potentially 3 million people saw it, but really potentially 3 million people potentially saw half that ad for one second. How does, <laughs> where are you finding 24 or 25 seconds for people to get that ad? Was, is that the, the, the secret? Yeah, so we've worked directly with now thousands of publishers to actually create ad space um, where ads didn't normally exist. And we have, and we've designed formats and, uh, that stay in view, but then are also very polite. Um, so uh, 
I think the first, you know, generation of web advertising, we kind of, uh, exhausted ads on the top and the right side of the page and what we've now built is is abilities to work uh, a tech ability to work with these publishers where we can actually create formats that are much more native to the page much more ingrained on the page but also designed to stay in view for a scrolling uh customer base that's you know on their mobile phone on otherwise constantly scrolling so we can keep that message in front of the user but also be very polite in how we uh we present that tied in and I've heard some of the stuff you guys, uh, you covered on an earlier podcast with the better ads coalition and, and we work within those same guidelines. Um, so we're doing innovation, but it, within the guidelines of better ads coalition. And when you talk about, um, the premium, how much, how much of a premium are you talking about versus, uh, standard displays? It's two and a half, two to two, two to two and a half times more than standard display. And you're getting 20 times the results. Wow. It's actually, it's one of the easiest sells. I, I basically say, do you have two bucks? I'm going to give you, you know, I'm going to give you 20. Yeah. The client's like, what, what? I'm like, <laughs> I just walk in with twenties. Um, not, not really because that's not a great way to uh, sell, but the value proposition is, is clear. And, and anyone who tests it sees the results almost immediately. And what kind of results are you talking about? Yeah, well, we're, we're seeing, uh, as I mentioned, 20, 15, 20 X lift in both, conversions, engagement, uh, in a brand lift compared to standard IEB. And it's kind of an interesting, it's an interesting time where brands are starting to realize as they get smarter about their relationships with customers that maybe I don't need to blanket a billion impressions out uh, for one second. Maybe I'll make sure that this is the audience I really want to get to. This is a really valuable audience to me. Maybe somebody I want to retarget who abandoned the shopping cart, for example. I'm going to, I'm going to go to a larger format, something that's much more uh, viewable and, and has high viewability, stays in view, and I'm going to deliver a message to them that's you know, five, ten seconds. And those, uh, and and looking at the total exposure amount of time to those individuals, that's the kind of tracking and the stuff that that smart marketers are now able to do, compared to the you know the thing you're reacting to with the kind of spray and pray kind of mentality that we had a bazillion impressions and they were out there in ether and um, somebody may have clicked on it. So where did this, uh, how did this, how did you get this Eureka and how did you bring it up, bring it to market? So about uh, six years ago, you know, we acquired a, a Canadian company called uh, Tint, um, and a copy and paste technology utility. And it's a great utility and uh, we've, we've continued to grow that. So that, that's being used by, I think, 800,000 websites in 190 countries. It's a great, uh, we, we now call that site control. Um, and what we realized was uh, about six years ago that we had all this great position on publishers' pages, and we could actually leverage that position in um, working with the publishers to create new monetization opportunities for them. And so we realized that we could launch, we could create these new type of formats that we knew the industry we had a hunch the industry would would want, which would be larger format, higher viewability, higher time in view, and so we worked with our publishers through this this tint uh, footprint, and then we went out to the biggest programmatic buyers and said, "Hey, would you like to buy this? Uh, you know, all all in an automated fashion." And um, that was, you know, back then five years ago, this was the start of uh, the programmatic kind of. Um, 
a steamship taking off and uh it's just like the transition from uh you know going from uh, tellers at a bank to atms who who whoever wants to wait in line at a bank teller ever again, right? Yeah. That's kind of what's happened with programmatic. You're just giving people the access to the cash of the machine. Uh, and that's taken off. So that has led to kind of amazing growth for us. And um, we continue to kind of be leading from an industry standpoint um, in kind of pushing the envelope in both quality ad experiences, great publishers, um, and, um, and delivering metrics uh, that, uh, Know, our ad experiences that deliver metrics for brands, um, you know, and it really comes down to, you know, if you're a creative, this is what you spend all this time creating a great message that's on point, that's on strategy, that's going to break through. You, you you want the right canvas, and yeah. and we're we're that we're that we're that canvas um, in 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 three global regions. I knew it had to have Canadian roots. <laughs> yes, <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely, it has Canadian roots. So we started with <laughs> kind of talking about uh, you know this this uh, I guess in, uh, preparing for uh, shifting environment or preparing for disruption and and what's ahead. What um, what advice or what lessons would you, or what would you give brands or marketers uh, as as advice to 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 manage what's what's ahead or what could potentially come up. Yeah, so I think the first first part is depending on depending on who you are. I think you you one of the things as a marketing executive is you have a real understanding of where your strengths are and where you're not as strong, and then make sure that the rest of your team you're filling in those right the those strengths underneath you with people who do have that expertise. They're there. Just uh, it takes that little bit of kind of introspection to understand. Uh, you know, am I good at this? Am I not good at this? Okay. And, and when you push yourself, you actually might find that you, you actually are pretty good at some of this stuff. It just might be a little different. Um, but from a, from an advice standpoint, one, I mentioned it earlier is understanding kind of the value chain. How, how does the marketing we're doing create business value? How does this turn into sales or how do we judge return on ad spend? How do we as a business make the decisions around the efficacy of marketing. It's probably the single biggest thing you can do. Most CMOs and, um, and, 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 and brand marketers and, and, and marketing managers are on this, but really understanding how that gets deconstructed and added up is a critical function. Mm-hmm. And second, second to that is really understanding how you're judging attribution. How with the hundred dollars you're going to spend this year in marketing or the million dollars or whatever number it is, how much gets spent where? And then how do you go about attributing that to and really kind of deconstructing that attribution channel? Uh, there are, particularly in, in online, there are a lot of you know, post-view-based attribution or somebody, did they click on an ad or did they, did they click on the ad and then come back and buy in 30 days or 15 days? Or you, you really need to understand, there's a, there's a string of assumptions that go into how money gets divided up and your knowledge of that and uh, as a brand marketer and your team's understanding of that and then how to tweak those models and look at that is a critical part of how you'll, you, as you see opportunities, you're going to be able to read either, divert, you know, dial down or divert money to new opportunities as it comes up. 
Um, and then third, I think I would focus on in general, one of the things we've been able to do as a company is develop a framework or a set of KPIs that help us understand where we are as a business today. Where do we want to be in six months, 12 months, 18 months, and then how are we going to uh, identify the opportunities we want to go after? How are we going to track those opportunities? How do we measure that success? And then constantly coming back to that. And uh, my bias has been, it's funny, um, I used to, we used to do a lot more weekly meetings and in, in prior management, I would have weekly or monthly meetings and we track progress. We, I've actually gone the other way and now there's daily meetings, but, uh, but much shorter on a, on a top level set of KPIs. Mm-hmm. And what I love about that is you're moving from instead of, you know, once a month meetings where you have you know, 12 opportunities to make decisions in a year to, you know, weekly 52 to then 365 opportunities to make, to make changes and, and at least to react. And what I've realized is that most of the decisions that get made in any company don't, are they're not really big decisions. It's a series of tiny little decisions. And as you start to get into those and the more opportunities you have to evaluate those, even in daily standup type stuff, it's very, very powerful. It also just connects you to the business in a way that um, you, you, it's almost impossible. Uh, you, you, you just really understand everything going on in the business um, in, a, in a way that, uh, you know, if, if you're waiting for people to manage up to you um, with the data, you know, you're, well, it, it just takes too long. Well, and great, great way to just maintain focus for the whole organization too. Because you're constantly Absolutely. reinforcing yeah. that, yeah. And if you're, if for me, it was uh, part of what uh, having been at bigger companies. I, I just missed learning, right? Yeah. And and I really love the fact that I'm constantly learning. And uh, the people that we ha- that work here are brilliant, and they're better in almost every, at, you know, in in each one of their areas than I am. Uh, whether it's programming, whether it's you know marketing technology, whether it's um, you know on the on the media and the customer side, like they're just amazing. And so our ability as leaders to kind of just understand that, to learn from that and to take some of that best practice back, it, it works, um, works incredibly well. So that, that's one of the things that I've, I've done And the more kind of smaller frequent interactions, uh, on a micro level, I think Trump met, you know, bigger strategy meetings, 10 out of 10 times. Eric, I know we're out of time, but can I go over time on, on one of those three pieces that you brought up? Sure. Happy to. So we, uh, it's almost sad that you have to say, understand the value chain as one of, <laughs> as one of a, a, as an advice for people, but it's surprising how many people forget that. The one though that I wanted to focus on because I find it so difficult to put a harness on is understanding or, uh, how, how you're judging attribution. What, mm-hmm. what advice do you give people to figure that out? Well, we're the, every customer is different. So if you're a B2B company, you're a B2C company, do you sell online? Do you sell through uh, third-party sellers? Are you going through a retail channel? So one is, and anybody needs to really, any anyone who's working with that marketer and or on that marketing team needs to really understand that kind of route to the customer. Mm-hmm. So, so once you've nailed that and you understand those channels and the value of each one of those channels, then the question is how do you go about making the, making those decisions about, um, 
uh, dividing up the marketing spend and how do we, how do we go through and tie and how do we look at um, key events that are either sales events themselves or uh, proxies to sales events uh, that, that you've determined are, are the things you, you want to manage too. And then, and then with that, so this has been the challenge with, you know, uh, you know, with television, we, it's kind of funny because television is still an amazing vehicle uh, from a reach, from an engagement, sight, sound, motion, you know, you, there's mm-hmm. just not a better, you're getting people uh, every, every day. It's a larger and larger TV, right? Or 40 mm-hmm. inches, 50, 60, 70 <laughs> inches or more. So you have the opportunity for an incredibly immersive experience. The question is, how are you judging that? And how are you measuring the results of that? And usually somebody somewhere has made some model and that model may or may not be uh, updated and maybe based on a bunch of assumptions um, all the way to online marketing, which may be based on clicks and or, you know, last view attribution. So, the you know, you're making decisions about what media uh, worked based on, you know, the, the person uh, – when did what was the website they were on that they last saw the ad, which which may or may not be connected at all? Um, so these are hard problems. Yeah, and it sounds like you really need to dig into them, not just sort of take oh well, this attribution model is what works for Amazon, so we're going to use that for our completely different business. Well, so what's interesting about that is, and you you take Amazon or you take um, Google or Facebook. What those guys have done is they've kind of made it really easy to judge attribution. So that's part of why they get so much spend is because they're, they're kind of self-referencing. They actually show you that they're packaging up the attribution back uh, and make it really easy to say, these are people, these were real people I delivered to, here's the real thing. They, they've done a good job in packaging that up. Um, however... Uh, it is also a black box and you don't always get the kind of access and data you want. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so the, the real question is just uh, pulling back and, and, and understanding what are the routes to customer? What are the channels that appear to drive the most efficacy and why? What do we need to understand? How does that need to, does this make sense to us? Do we have data to support this? Yes or no. And then how are we going about kind of improving those models over time? And I think it's often overlooked um, that the the, the brand marketer or other will come in and talk about the customer problem, but it is kind of wonky. It is kind of data driven. You do need to get into the guts of it. But if you or someone on your team gets in and you really do have them kind of deconstruct this, Mm-hmm. it's, it's, I think it's the old, one of the biggest things that, that is going to, uh, going to be the determinant between success or failure mm-hmm. in any company. Because if you're making attribution decisions based off of, uh, data, that's not really connected to the sales, uh, funnel or the actual, the actual sales data, that's challenging. That's, that's, if not dangerous, I'll give you one example where this, this is where this gets, um, really interesting. And I'll use my company, uh, as an example. So today we deliver ads that are, uh, the buyers are, are bidding on and buying and delivering programmatically and, and are able to deliver this incredible time and view. Great. But if that marketer is still judging every ad the same, so my ad that's in view for 20 seconds 
gets the same attribution of an ad that's in view for one second. Does that sound right? Yeah, yeah. You can right? see where it would lead you in a different, yeah. And I think one of the things that I've been talking to my team about, as companies get smarter at doing what would be, we would call fractional attribution, where they're actually able to kind of get down into the details of understanding maybe we should wait a little bit more viewable and high time in view versus non-viewable or less time in view, right? Once you do that, your entire paradigm shifts. And we're already seeing clients in our case doing this going, wait a minute, we've made complete shifts. And companies like Group M who have made standards saying we're not buying it if it's not in view, right? This is powerful stuff. And if you've got an understanding of that and you can start to test those things, you can really start to actually take a ton of waste out of the media spend and double, triple down on the things that are going to move. And that, whether it's display or whether it's um, OTT or whether it's uh, audio advertising, radio or streaming, it's all really, really powerful. But without an attribution framework, and I'll take a decent framework that's constantly being optimized over a complex one that doesn't get changed. I love the idea of somehow weighting your attributions and even, you know, combining them because it's, it's, I believe it's never really one thing. It's, it's going to be, you know, a series of interactions for most companies, maybe for some uh, direct sales or that sort of thing. It's a single point, but time well spent for a, for a, for a company to dig into that. It would, it would really allow you then to judge to, different platforms and, and opportunities or tactics that are coming up. And, you know, if you know, if you have your model figured out. Exactly. Exactly. And maybe not, and maybe not figured out, but at least you've got this con again, that kind of framework where you're, st you're, you're, you're constantly testing a set of assumptions. You're mm -hmm. constantly moving that forward. And that test and learn is again, one of these kind of e-commerce mentalities. But if you bring that to brand marketing, it's actually really exciting. Uh, and, and you can actually lean in and, and do exciting things around this. Um, even if you're not necessarily, you know, uh, selling a product where somebody's clicking and buying from their phone within, you know, 15 seconds, that's fine. It's actually this ability to understand and, 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 uh, look at those channels and be constantly optimizing it. It's, um, that rigor and that stuff I think suits anybody, um, well as an executive because you, you're, you're just never sleeping. You're always innovating. Um, you're always testing 70%, 20%, 10%. Great, great, great advice. I've, we are way over time. Eric, thank you so much. I really, really appreciate that. I could talk to you, I'm sure, for a day and a half and nonstop. But, uh, how can people find out more or connect with you and 33 across? Sure. I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, it, linkedin.com slash Eric Wheeler. Uh, and you can get us at 33 across.com. Uh, and all of our uh, information for both advertisers and publishers. If you're an advertiser looking to actually get greater, better experiences, we can deliver that. And if you're a publisher looking to drive more revenue through these types of um, uh, time and view based uh, programs, we're, we're a great company to talk to. Eric, thanks again for, for all your advice. I really appreciate it. Thanks, David. Great talking with you. Thank you.